This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. You are with Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and my first guest this morning is Margaret Kernow from Resist Gender Education. I've been looking forward to talking to Margaret after finding out about her organisation from Helen Houghton. Good morning, Margaret. How are you? Good morning, Marie. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to talk with you. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Now, before we get started, we're going to um, get a wee statement out of the way and then we're going to dive right in. Okay. What I wanted to say before we start is just so that people know exactly where we're coming from, that by people I mean our listeners, um, Resist Gender Education is a diverse group of educators who have long-standing interests in international and local practice of inclusive education and student health and wellbeing. We're not Johnny-come-latelys, we go back a very long way. As well as being teachers, many of us are mothers and grandmothers, and our group also includes members of the Rainbow community, and I'm one of those members. We're non-religious and politically non-partisan, and we receive absolutely no funding from any organisation or from government, which is probably not a surprise. We're all volunteers, and the only income we receive is donations from subscribers or supporters. Thank you for that. And actually, it's giving us a great jumping off point to talk about some of the work that you do. So tell us about how this group of educators, as you've mentioned, how did it all happen? Well, it started, you would have heard of Speak Up for Women. And yes. I was part of Speak Up for Women going back to 2019. And when I joined, there was already a group of educators there who were picking up on what was going on in schools and starting to become concerned. And it very quickly became clear that we actually needed to focus on education specifically because Speak Up for Women at that stage was focused on the BDMRR bill. There was also a group who were focused on sport because, of course, the implications of this in sport are huge. And so what happened was the education group and the sport group split off. The sport group became Save Women's Sports Australasia, linked up with Australia. And we became, first of all, Education Aotearoa, and then we morphed into Resist Gender Education. So we are completely independent from Speak Up for Women and have been essentially from, or we speak up as Resist Gender Education, we have been from the beginning. Yeah, we put out the call and teachers joined us. Gender is becoming one of those hot topic issues. Having spoken to a number of people on this topic now, it there has been a lot of this education seeping into schools for quite some time, but it's only now just, I think, popping out and becoming at parents' notice. So as you said, you're an organisation of teachers. So Margaret, the guidelines, these guidelines that started appearing in education, when did they start cropping up? The latest guidelines were published in 2020. And that's where you see quite a significant change because that's when the idea of gender was brought in. And that's when we started becoming really, really concerned about what was happening in schools. There's a a glossary at the end of the guidelines where words are defined. And to look at it, you'd think that this was accepted science, you know, that this was real. But it's not real. It's all made up. There's no evidence behind any of this. 
and, and this is what is the extraordinary thing, that this idea, and it's a belief, a belief system, an ideology, whatever you want to call it, has actually now become so accepted in certain circles that people actually don't realise that this is, it's a belief. We don't know that people have a gender identity. Some people say they have. There's no way to verify that. There's no evidential test. It's just, this is how I feel. But that feeling now carries more weight than the objective reality of biological sex. And this is an extraordinary situation for us to be in. If it's a guideline, it then means that schools can opt in and opt out. Is that correct? They can opt in or out of how they teach it, but it is a curriculum area that has to be taught. But schools can decide how they teach this whole relationships and sexuality because schools always have to do it and they have to consult with their communities. So every two years, schools have a consultation with their communities because how a school that's mostly got, say, immigrant refugees or another school that might have a wealthier immigrant population or a school that has Māori majority children or a school that is white middle class, they're going to want to teach things in different ways to cater for their children and to reflect their community. And so there's the consultation process, which should take place every two years. That's the legal requirement. So is that the point whereby parents can get involved in terms of how this is taught? Parents can get involved at any stage by asking questions in terms of what's happening. That One of the problems is that our teachers are so overloaded that when a resource comes along which gives you lesson plans, you're going to take it because you don't have to do your own work. It's really hard. And it's also hard for teachers because when a school buys in to gender ideology, and I say buy in, when they say, yes, we, we believe this, we are going to teach this to our children, then a teacher who doesn't believe it is in a very, very difficult position because they're being required to teach something that they don't actually believe. These are beliefs that actually belong in, in special character schools, you know, not in our public schools. So that is when often the third parties with this education come into the mix. Is that is that correct? Exactly. So an outside exactly. resource is brought into the school yep. because yep. teachers are like, I'm going to hand this over to an, right. an inverted commas, an exactly. expert. So let's talk about some of those experts. Who are some of these groups that are coming into schools and teaching this these guidelines and this education to our to our kids? Well, one of the big groups is Inside Out, and they're actually recommended. They're, they're a government-approved group. So again, of course, schools are going to go to a group that the government recommends. They're seriously funded by the government to, to the tune of, you know, millions of dollars of, of funding. They're not trained teachers. They're not trained educators. They're not trained anything. But they come into the schools and they they teach this. Inside Out is a group to support young rainbow people. But in actual fact, if I was a young lesbian looking at their website, I would be I would find myself not represented. They're very much a pro-trans group. So they're not coming in as objective, if you like, people who are presenting some information. Like when teachers 
talk and, and have sessions, classes around controversial topics. They present both sides. This is what some people believe in. This is why this is where other people are. We were talking earlier about road signs in Tereo. That could be an example of a controversial topic that could be presented. Then they discuss it. They look at it. They talk about both sides. This does not happen with gender ideology. It is just in there as a fact when it's not a fact. The dangerous thing with that then is because this is starting from year one, isn't it? Yes. So this is our new entrance. I just remember my sons. I mean, they would believe anything their first year teacher taught them or told them. These are very malleable little minds. They are. So what what are some of the things that these kids, that that, that our smallest students, what are some of our smallest kids, what are they being exposed to? Well, one of the things, for example, that they're being asked to do is to decide, you know, and to write down on a sort of continuum idea, are they more like a boy or are they more like a girl? Isn't that outrageous? And, of course, the things that are used to decide if you're more like a girl or more like a boy are basically 1950 stereotypes. You're more like a girl if you like pretty pink things and glitter, and you're more like a boy if you like Lego and trucks. Immediately, we have these stereotypes of what a boy is and what a girl is. So there's no room for personalities. There's no room for what is sometimes called gender nonconformity. And we all know if it wasn't us, we know other people could be siblings, could be friends. Tomboys was the term that was used when I was young and probably when you were young too. There's all, and there's always been the campy boys, you know. But now they're, they're being told, well, if you're like that, chances are you're, actually, you're probably not a boy, you're probably a girl. And the same for the girls. And this is so damaging. And this is just the message that comes through. And in the Relationship and Sexuality Guides, the ministry actually says that these concepts and ideas should be taken through all the classes. So it should happen in English. You should use these ideas and examples and and in maths and anywhere else. The fundamental right that a parent has to withdraw their child from relationship and sexuality education classes, it's being made impossible to do because the whole idea now is that this just goes through everything. That's quite concerning. I've just written down the question, when does learning cross the line into grooming? It's an interesting question to look at, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I want to be clear here, I don't think anyone is deliberately setting out to make life life difficult for our children. And I I do believe that inside out, believe they're doing a good thing. You know, I want to be clear about that. I don't think there's a great conspiracy that inside out are doing to get their clutches onto little children. However, grooming's an emotive word. But the way I see it is that the idea that you might be trans is put into their minds from the very, very beginning that you could be like this, that other children could be like this. So that's put out there, and then it's always there. So whenever there are problems and issues, it's like, ah, I'm probably trans. That's what it's all about. And it becomes a sort of a a solution to problems that that children have. That's the the very concerning thing for me, um, is that this is then up there, Ah, this is the solution to my problems. And, of course, 
then there's a, a welcoming community. You become part of a community and you get all the goodies as you do. And if I think about when I came out, it, that's how it was for me. I was welcomed into a community and it was wonderful. But there's an enormous difference between coming out as a lesbian and coming out as trans. Because as a lesbian, I'm not doing damage to myself or to anybody else. I can explore this. And if I want, I can change. Some people are fluid and go backwards and forwards. The progress that happens if you think you're trans and you start a social transition and then a medical transition and then you go into cross-sex hormones. And, and you know, around 95% of people, some say 98, depending on the research, that's what happens. They finish up on cross-sex hormones. And this is incredibly damaging. How prevalent is this in New Zealand schools currently, that process of social transitioning through into puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones? I mean, is this happening now? We, it is happening, but we don't know because we don't have data. And we, we did a survey at the beginning of last year, I think, or maybe the end of the year before. We sent out to schools for information on exactly this. We wanted to know. Some schools responded. Other schools have refused to respond, citing privacy. And we were vilified in the media for being anti-trans because we wanted to gather data. See, this is, we don't know. New Zealand doesn't have a central point anywhere. Ministry don't keep data on this. So we don't know. That's a simple answer to that in terms of what's happening in New Zealand schools. I worry about the whole social contagion element of this. From what I've heard from other people who are active in this space is they talk about these great coming out celebrations at schools, right? You know, I mean, I'm in my 50s and I, as you mentioned before, I was a tomboy. I've had this discussion with Rachel Stewart. Rachel, you know, she was a tomboy. She liked to hunt and guns and, and, and then as she said, hey, I knew I was a lesbian, it was all good. Now her and I, had very fairly similar upbringings actually in rural provincial New Zealand. Now I didn't really discover my femininity until I was about 18 or 19. I'd be terrified if I was how I was as a kid now, that if I had somebody who was particularly enamored in the ideology, gender ideology, that they would see that identify me and think, oh, this is the pathway going on. And I I probably would have followed that pathway because as a child, you want to please. You want to you want to please, but you also, you know, if you're having difficulty and if you don't feel like you, you know, if girls, if girls are the ones who have long hair and like to play with makeup and like to have, you know, paint their nails and are feminine, then if you're not like that, well. You know, the simple logic is, well, you're not a girl. Because if you're a girl, that's what you'd be like. And that's a very distressing place to be. And it's hard enough being an adolescent. It's really hard being an adolescent girl, you know. And mm. and you talk about the social contagion, and it's true. And if we go back a few years, you know, anorexia was the, the thing that was happening. And, and cutting, you know, girls, and this is a, an additional concern. Girls have always found ways of trying to hold back being an adult woman. There are a lot of things in our society where it's not a nice place to be an adult woman, and it's certainly not a nice place to be as an adolescent girl slash woman, you know, moving into that space. And so social contagion is massive. There's been a 5,000% increase 
in the UK where they have centralised figures between 2010 and 2019 in girls transitioning. 5,000% increase. Now, we have no reason to think that we are any different. We have over 700 children in New Zealand currently on puberty blockers. That's quite concerning. That's a, that's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. This is an off-label use. It is for these, an off-label use. That's an true. off-label use for these medications. And the thing that I find so incredible about that is that if you come out in any form, like, for example, your organisation and say, we have concerns around this, you get mm. shouted down yep. That's right. by those in the media and the mob. And yet, when there were other drugs that had were used off-label with COVID, mm. the, the walls went up and you were told that you can't do this and it's not safe. It's almost like it's okay for me, but not for thee. It, it is mm. such a, a minefield for everybody. It is. There's no question that a medical transition takes an enormous toll on the body. You've only got to listen to detransitioner stories, which are harrowing, harrowing. So that enormous toll is absolutely, there's no question around that. There's no question that we are learning as, as time goes on and these drugs have been used, we are learning more about their side effects and about the toll on the body. And it's quite different when those drugs are administered for a very short time. Yes, they have been being used, and this is often one of the claims. They've been used for decades without a problem. They were used for precocious puberty for a very short time, a year perhaps, to just for children who were going into puberty at eight or nine to put it off a little bit. That's a very different thing than actually using them to prevent puberty. And there's massive concerns around preventing a child from actually going through puberty. And we believe that every child, it's a fundamental human right to go through puberty and reach adulthood with your fertility and your sexual function intact. And that's what doesn't happen. Understand too, there are also issues around bone density, particularly in young women. Yeah, and, and men. And, and there are major issues for young boys related to both an increased estrogen and a decreased testosterone. But the, I'm moving on to cross-sex hormones there. Look, this is not an area I'm an expert in. There's a lot of really good information around about puberty blockers, but they are concerning. But my whole thing is that, or our, as a group, teachers are not experts in transitioning, and teachers shouldn't be supporting children to transition and have been told very clearly by the ministry and are told by groups like Inside Out that if parents don't like it and if children want it, it should be kept secret from parents. Now, this is an unbelievably awful situation that this should be done and kept secret from a child's parents. How can we possibly think that secrets are a good thing? It goes against every basic principle of a decent society. I'm often finding more and more that my right as a parent is being eroded by the state. 
with these guidelines. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense now that my boys are almost out of the system. They're both seniors in high school. So they're sort of heading out the other end. In the monologue I had today, I talked about being a mama bear. I am the first to admit I am a mama bear with a capital M and a capital B. The journey to get these children for us was so intensive that I wasn't going to relinquish that responsibility Mm. to Mm. anybody. Mm. And it concerns me Mm. that A, parents do relinquish that responsibility but for many reasons that can be justified but also too that the state feel that they have the right to hold back from parents it's quite terrifying let's talk about the educators in this because you must be talking to educators anonymously is there concerns Oh, yes, absolutely, there are concerns. And one of the big concerns is that a great many people who are working have commitments and they need their work and their income and for that. And they've also done training and they love their jobs. So they're in a bind. So we have teachers who can't speak up because their jobs would be at risk. We know other teachers who've left teaching because this was going on. And it's it's a really, really difficult situation for them to be in. So one of the things that we've done is on our website, we have alternative lesson plans that teachers can use. So recognising how overloaded teachers are and how difficult this is. There are alternative lesson plans. We send information through to boards of trustees so that they at least have the opportunity to read about some of the concerns and some of the things they need to be thinking about in their position, in in a governance position. It is really, teachers are in a really, really difficult position. And part of what we want to do is to support teachers who are finding that they're being asked to behave in ways and to teach in ways that actually they don't agree with and they don't feel comfortable with, but there's nothing they can do. I'll make sure that I have uh, will have a link when we do the blogs and the right. show notes with this. It's important for teachers to be able to access uh, resources. As you said, they're in a bind. It means that they're meeting the curriculum That's guidelines, right. That's right. but they're giving a, a more well-balanced lesson. Yeah. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's information for, par- for teachers and also for parents. There's ideas for parents in terms of going to boards of trustees with their concerns or to principals with their concerns. We've got letters, you know, templates and things like that for people to use because often people don't know what to do. And we find that most parents actually don't realise what's going on. And when we tell people some of these things, they kind of look at us and say we're conspiracy theorists and they say, oh, come on, not that bad. That might be happening in America. It's not happening here. Well, you know, it is. You're aware of our Ministry of Health's promotion of gender-neutral language so that we have pregnant people. We have people who need abortions. We have uh, people with cervixes and so on. Interestingly, we have men who have to be aware of um, prostate cancers, but we have, but we don't have women at all. We have people with cervixes. Let's explore that a little bit with women, because I think as women, we're under attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have been under attack for a long Absolutely. time, and as you said before, you're a, you're a gay woman. I'm almost seeing the schism beginning to happen between lesbians and gays and the rest of the alphabet community. As a gay woman who's worked within education, that works with educators, and there are a lot of 
uh, gay women in education and always have been. Mm. Are you starting to see that divide there Oh, now? that's absolutely happening because the the alphabet organisations, the rainbow organisations, don't represent lesbians and gays. And so we have withdrawn and we have our own organisations now because those organisations are pushing a trans agenda. And it's a very difficult to represent a whole range of different perspectives anyway. And there are times when you do want that overall umbrella that you all come under. But see, the reality is people make the assumption that that somehow trans is like the new gay. And so people who supported us in the you know, law reform in the 1980s think that it's the same now. We need to support trans people. And it's enormously different. It's hugely different, and that's a really important thing to be aware of. That tra being trans is nothing like being lesbian or gay. We're about same-sex attraction. Trans is about thinking that you are the opposite sex or no sex or whatever, but it's not about being same. They deny that same-sex attraction exists. It's a very anti-lesbian and gay movement because they redefine it as same gender attraction. And so young lesbians have to be attracted, have to be attracted to anybody who says they're a woman. And this is outrageous because they are denying the reality of what same sex attraction means. And it's also too, I think with the trans, it's not about trans men or trans women. It is about trans ideology. I see people sucked into the idea of it Yes. not the actual yes. practicality yes. of it. They get us swept yes. along. You're seeing exactly. that? Exactly, absolutely. And it is about the ideology. And this is not, people we're often labelled as anti-trans. It's not about being anti-trans. It's not about being anti-any individual. You know, our primary motivation is concern for the children. That is why we're here. Our concern for what is happening to our children. That's the key thing that drives us. You know, it's not about being anti-anything. It's about being for children. And, you know, the reality is that the vast majority of, of young women who transition actually turn out, that if left alone, they'd be lesbians because they're the ones who are more likely to be, quote, gender non-conforming. They're less likely to be stereotypically feminine. And, and still, still these days, for young women who are same-sex attracted, it's not an okay way to be. I just said in my son's friend group that one declared she was non-binary. One of my sons said to me, Mom, what does that mean? And I said, it means she hasn't yet made up her mind, sweetheart. And I just looked at her straight away and I thought, actually, there is a very high likelihood that you're going to be same-sex attracted. Simple as that. But the, the messaging that they're getting from social media, but also the attention-seeking behaviour, because everyone wants to feel special, exactly. and all of a sudden exactly. trans is what's special, isn't it? It's just what's special. So non-binary is what you do when you just don't want to be normal, don't want to be ordinary. Mm. Yeah. And look, it wouldn't matter. Kids do this all the time. It wouldn't matter, except it's being promoted everywhere, in our government departments, in our, in our prim, what we used to call primers, you know, the first mm. years of school. This is being promoted as how people are and this must be supported and, and all of those things, you know. If we just let kids, let them call each other by whatever pronouns they like, let them do it all in the playground, anywhere they like. But, you know, 
in the classroom where the teacher should be in charge, your, your, your pronouns are the, the ones that belong to the sex that you are. This is what happens here. The teacher's in charge. The teacher should not be at the beck and call of this ideology. And so the child who this week is is he and next week is they them and the teacher has to run around and and you know respond to that and be accepting of that and affirm it. It's a nonsense. Mm. Having spoken to another educator recently, they are saying that if you do not adhere to these guidelines, that there is a risk of complaint back to the teaching council. Absolutely. Are you aware of Absolutely. that? Absolutely. That's so, true. So then yes. that actually means that if there is concerns out there, so as a parent, if I was talking to one of my son's teachers at primary school, for argument's sake, and that teacher very quietly had concerns, in a way, the responsibility sits with the parent to almost speak up because that teacher yes. is unable to. That's right. That's absolutely right. And parents must speak up, but it's also really hard to do. And it can be good if you can find another parent and speak up. Because the implications, I mean, toilets in schools is a massive issue. You know, we used to have girls' toilets and boys' toilets, right? Really simple. But now we also, most schools have boys' and girls' toilets, but also have gender-neutral toilets. But they don't always sit together. So you will sometimes have out in the playground, the toilet that's out there that's the closest for the children to use will be the gender-neutral toilet. We had a very heart-rending story from a parent recently who is pregnant. And so I can't manage to hang on while she goes to pick up her five-year-old who's just started school. So she went and used the gender-neutral toilet that was the handiest to where the child was. And there was pee all over the seat and the whole thing was really awful. And she talked to her daughter about it. And her daughter said, oh, it's always like that. We just clean it up. Boys and wow. girls use toilets differently. It's almost like we have a different relationship with the toilet. Our skin touches the toilet when we use it. Boys stand back and pee. And little boys are not very good at peeing accurately. And the, has this been thought about with gender-neutral toilets when there isn't an alternative? So that's one aspect. The other aspect is that it's very clear in the guides that girls can use the girls' toilets and boys can use the boys' toilets. But Students who identify as trans can use any toilets they want to. So their need is given a greater weight and it is more important than the need of the girls. And there's awful stories coming out, the experiences girls have in toilets. And imagine in an intermediate school, girls are starting to menstruate. There's all the issues around that that they have. And boys are there banging on the toilets and telling them to hurry up. Um, complaining about the smell in the toilets, you know? It's just awful. The right to a single-sex toilet is fundamental, especially for girls. What has been some of the mental health impacts, do you believe, particularly on our adolescents? What layer of pressure does this now add to them, do you believe? Well, one of my concerns is that it gives a message to girls that actually what you need doesn't matter. It's a very clear statement that the small group of trans students are more important than you are as a girl. That's a message. And that is not a message we should be giving to our young women. The message we should be giving is you matter. That's the most important message we can give a child. Do you think that this trans ideology is just misogyny in the sheep's clothing? That's <laughs> a, a, a loaded kind of thing. But yes, I, I'm not sure about 
in sheep's clothing, but it is misogyny, without a doubt. It is women who pay the price for this. It's women who lose our, our single-sex spaces. It's women whose sports are being well, infiltrated is not right, it's out in the open, but it's women, it's, you know, men are coming into sports and taking women's places in sport. It's women who get hurt by this, not men. Men don't care. They're, they're, they're still going to be top of their sports. You know, no no, no woman coming in is going to have a chance and is a, is a threat to a man. It's women who lose out. And I remember talking with some government ministers, you know, we did a lot of lobbying before the BDMRR bill went through. And they said, look, we, we just don't believe that there's a danger. But, you know, if you look at some of our most vulnerable women, and we're moving away from education, but just, say, you know, women in prisons, for example, well, think about what it means for them to have a man in a woman's prison. You know, those really vulnerable women. And you talk about the mental health issues. And, it's interesting that a huge number of our young people who start this journey of transition have ongoing mental health issues which are not addressed and which need to be addressed. And as well as that, we have a, a much greater number of autistic children transitioning than are in the general population. I'm, Obviously, autism is not a mental health problem, but it is, it's, it's one of the manifestations of neurodiversity. And those children are really struggling. And this, you know, looking for reasons, why am I like this? Ah, you're trans, here's the solution. So I'm glad you brought autism up. Whilst the diagnostic criteria around neurodiverse children has improved significantly in the last 15 years, mm. more and more kids are being identified. But one of the things I do know is the support for those children within schools just simply isn't there. The funding is not given to them. Yep. You, owe, you have to be at the most severe end of the diagnostic scale to get any support whatsoever. So essentially, these kids, even if they are diagnosed, are cast adrift. And I believe are truly vulnerable to these sorts mm. of ideologies. Absolutely. Is there any responsibility around protecting those kids in schools, or is it identified? I mean, surely the number I read somewhere it's something like forty percent of those that identify with some form of alphabet label sit in the neurodiverse spectrum. That surely must be a signal. Absolutely, it's a signal. But who's listening? <laughs> The people with the power aren't listening. And what about what about the autism communities? Are they? I mean, are they seeing this, or are they captured into the ideology just like everybody else? I don't. I don't know. You don't know. If anybody is actually out there listening to this, and they are part of those organisations mm. around particularly aut autism mm. and neurodiversity, mm. reach out and contact mm. us. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or text us on twenty fifty seven because I would love to know about that. Mm. And just to remind everybody, I am talking to Margaret Kuno from Resist Gender Education and we are looking at all of this gender education that is currently happening in our schools. Mm -hmm. Anti-conversion laws, which mm -hmm. were passed a few years ago, 
Have no, they? no, last year. Was it last even, year? It hasn't even come into effect yet. Ah, oh, right. There you go. Mm. I knew they were fairly recent. So do you think those are going to get weaponized against parents and or teachers or people like yourself that stand up against this and you will be then slapped with an anti-conversion label? Well, it's, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's very clear that actually the conversion is the other way around. You know, children are being converted into taking on a trans identity rather than the other way around. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The, again, it's the, the problem with that legislation. No one has any issues around um, conversion therapy in relation to lesbians and gays. You know, I mean, I have friends who are incarcerated in, in psychiatric hospitals, you know. That's what happened when I was young um, and who had shock therapy and all sorts of dreadful things happened. And, of course, none of us want that. It, it isn't happening in the same way now, but it still does with some um, churches. There are still some issues around that. But, you know, that's completely different from conversion therapy in relation to trans people because that hasn't even been defined. What does it actually mean? What is conversion? Is it conversion therapy if you actually address the mental health problems that this young person is having? rather than just affirm them instantly as trans, because that's what it seems to be saying. You must affirm them as trans. Anything else is not acceptable. But well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But it's another example of putting lesbians and gays and trans people in the same basket. And we're, we're completely different. The issues are not the same. When you were talking about this affirmation, because, I mean, teaching often is you set up boundaries for students, but within those boundaries, you also create a safe environment to enhance their imagination for them to learn. With all of this affirmation, doesn't that just throw those boundaries down and just allow for chaos? I mean, if you had a child in school who said, um, you know, as little children do, you know, I'm Superman or I'm whatever, well, how do you respond to that? You know, do you say, yes, you are, and I'll call you this and I'll treat you as that and you can fly, yes, we'll go up the top and you can jump off and, you know. We, we, we have ways of managing children's desire to live in a different reality for a time, but we don't affirm it completely as a lifestyle or as a, um, a who you really are. But then that's the boundary too between play yes. and reality. Yes, and that's the, that's the boundary that is gone between reality and fantasy because it is a fantasy for a little boy to say, I'm a girl. It's a fantasy, you know. There's nothing that makes it anything other than a fantasy. Complacency and compliance, that's been really rife in the last three years. Are you sort of seeing that gender ideology has kind of pierced the veil of a lot of people that have just what I call the go-alongs to get along? They will do, they will listen to an authority figure. They're the, they're the ones in the ash conformity experiments. They're, they're the ones that just want to get one step in front of the other. Mm -hmm. but then they're now the kids are coming home from school talking about this stuff is this the one issue that has actually sort of shaken parents awake and said mm, I think you need to take a closer look to this or this is disturbing I think it has with some parents but not with most parents because most people and parents are part of that bigger group don't actually see where this is going 
They really don't. And the the parents who know where it's going are the ones whose children come home one day and say, I'm trans. The children who weren't saying it when they're two and three and four, but who suddenly when they're 13 come home and say they're trans. And one of the problems is that, that parents, when your child tells you that they're trans, you've got two alternatives. One is to celebrate with them and the other is that you're cancelled and they don't want anything to do with you. And as a parent, of course you want to keep every channel of communication with your child open. That's part of it. When your child is struggling, you need to be able to connect with them. When they're an adolescent who's doing things that you've got no idea about, you want to find some way of keeping those channels of communication open. And so, of course, you're not going to say, don't be bloody ridiculous, of course you're not, you know. You try and find a way of keeping connection and at the same time parents are, are so concerned at what it means. I mean, other parents leap in there and celebrate, genuinely celebrate it. Um, but most parents are concerned about what it means. In terms of your website, your website is fantastic. Okay. Let's talk about some of the resources there. So where, you, as you mentioned before, there are lesson plans there for teachers. What other resources for parents will they find there? If they are wanting to know a little bit more about what's going on in school, just to be aware, what what, what can they expect to find? Well, they can they can certainly find out the stories about what's going on. So we have, we have personal stories on the website. And actually that is one thing, if any of the listeners have personal stories, that we could put up completely anonymous, always completely anonymous, that would be great because it's really reassuring to know that someone else has experienced something like this. So we have personal stories, but as I said, we have letters, uh, template letters that people can use, ideas of what you can do in a given situation, you know, how, how you can take action, you know, by talking to teachers, by talking to principal, by going to the boards of trustees, by finding other parents. So we've got ideas around all those things. There is a take action sort of part of the website that will give people that. But, you know, a lot of it is actually getting information about what's being taught. So we have reviews and explanations about what's going on and what children are being taught. So it's pretty easy to navigate and it's a really, really good place to go to get some of those, some of that information about what's really happening. Because, you know, it, it can sound quite innocuous. Oh, you see, teaching them this, well, it's all right. You know, it's not going to bother my child too much because they're fairly set in, in their own sexuality and identity and they know who they are. But it's insidious. And what it does is gives children a message that this is okay, that this is normal. It never talks about the toll that people face when they start medically transitioning. It's just, this is all lightness and light and great. Embrace this. Embrace your new identity. Embrace your new sexuality. Well, not sexuality, but your new sex. And, you know, it's not like that. It's not like that. But one of the problems, I remember talking to a, a detransitioner who at that age, she was about 19, and she'd been, since she was about 14, had been in the process of transition. She did a medical transition. And I was concerned about a young child I was involved with. And I said to, to this young woman, what can I say to her that will help, that might get her to think about what she's doing? And she said to me, and it was devastating, she said, there's nothing you can say now. It's too late. 
because it's being put out there. And so from a very young age, children see this as a viable option. And we talked before about little kids who can't think critically, who can't understand quite complex concepts. So they just see it. You know, we, the stories are incredible. You know, we have one child who's who went back to school after the summer holidays and his friend had transitioned over the holidays. And he said to his mother, so can I grow a vagina next summer? That's what happens for children. They're black and white thinkers. They don't, they don't have the complexity. Just we have so many stories. We have the girl who came home. Now, I know this wouldn't have been said, but the message she got from the class was, when you come to puberty, you have to decide whether you want to be a boy or a girl. And she said, I don't know. I don't know if I want to stay a girl or if I want to become a boy. So muddled, muddled, muddled stuff because te- children are being taught stuff at a, that is inappropriate for their level. Mm. And Pride Week is coming up. Oh, God, don't. Yes, Pride Week. <laughs> Pride Week is coming up. Pride Week is coming up. (laughs) And we've just had, uh, I mean, I was stunned at the messaging around Pink Shirt Day because, of course, Pink Shirt Day, I always say when it comes to this ideology, people say, oh, really, is it that bad? And it's like, look, this is this isn't the brochure that you pick up at the supermarket. You know, the brochure, the brochure always sells the best features and benefits of of what the ideology is. And it's it's like it's a cult, people. Mm -hmm. This is a cult. And you get into it and you think, oh, wow, that sounds really amazing. Look, you can sugarcoat anything and make it look great on the surface but the minute you dive in things can get more insidious and I see that happening with Pink Shirt Day what was a really good concept in order to teach kids about responsibility of peer-to-peer relationships and and respecting each other a peer-to-peer has been hijacked Mm -hmm. into uh, particularly trans by trans ideology to actually yeah. protect certain protected groups of people, which is of course all part of critical critical theory. They just get out of pink shirt day and wham, we're going to hit them with Pride Week. And really, I mean, as a lesbian, I mean, do you even get a seat at the table at Pride Week no, now? No, absolutely not. We we don't even get in the room, let alone around the table. It's Pride now is all about trans people. And at schools, it's all about trans children. And we have to ask why, with this very small number of people, of children, why are we pushing this? Because it is being pushed. When you put something around all the time and celebrate it and say how wonderful it is, then children want to take that up. They want to be like that. They want to be part of it. We talked before about the resources for parents. One of the things I would suggest anyone who thinks we're making too much of a fuss about this, go in and look at some videos of detransitioners. And if you don't know where to find them, just Google on or go into YouTube and put detransition. And listen to what they are saying about their journey. Because what's happening is for children who are who have concerns, who aren't happy, and we all have this in our adolescence. Who didn't have times when you thought, what's this all about? What's my life about? When a solution is put there, that is a solution that takes such a toll on your body 
and it's put in as a wonderful way to be without any of the downsides. That is absolutely so damaging for our children. And the way I see it, children are being funneled, you know. And so anyone who's got mental health issues, who's got a neurodiversity and who has any kind of struggle going on is just going to go right down that funnel. And it's very, very damaging for our children. So this is actually a perfect time if you're a parent and you have concerns. Um, either do it yourself or get together with a, a group, um, have a look at some of those templated letters. And actually, as you said right back at the beginning, ask questions. Ask questions. Ask, ask questions of your school. What The easiest question in the world to ask of the school is, what are your plans for Pride Week? Yes. Isn't That's it? Right. And, yeah. and, and actually seeing what those plans are. Yeah. Are they operating themselves? Are they bringing it in from uh, outside? Just ask those questions. Because what is it about? Why are they doing it? They're the questions to ask. Why is this happening? What are we actually celebrating? Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Look at websites, Google. And if you think that this is not really such a big problem, have a listen to the stories of the young men and women who've gone through this process. Because we're not talking about the people who as adults can make a decision about how they want to live their lives. I don't have a problem with that, none of us do. This is about our children who are being told when they start school that changing sex is an option. And it's a great option. If you're a little girl who likes Lego and trucks, or if you're a little boy who likes pink and glitter. And it's not a great option. Marg Curnow from Resist Gender Education. This has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, what's your website again so people can find you? Our website is resistgendereducation.nz. And could I also give another website, Marie, for people Absolutely. who want to know more information about puberty blockers? and about things that are happening in relation to that, it's called fullyinformed.nz. And there's some wonderful information on that website. It's great. And, of course, the Speak Up for Women website as well. Thank you so much, Marg. If you've got any comments, queries or information you'd like to share with us here at Counterculture on Reality Check Radio, that email is inbox at realitycheck.radio in the box at realitycheck.radio or drop us a text at 2057. Marg, thank you very, very much. Thank Greatly appreciated. Thank you. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.